0: In his poem, To a Mouse, Robert Burns famously said, the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. The quote has become a popular expression describing that no matter how carefully a project has been planned, something may still go wrong with it. I'm sure all of us can think of a time when something in our lives didn't go according to plan. When I was in high school, my family took a vacation to Florida, and we packed up all of our bags, drove down to the airport, got on a plane, landed. We get to our hotel, and my parents are checking in, and they have me take my brother and sister to the pool where uh, we can spend some time while they get the room ready. We hadn't even got into the water yet, and my sister is running into this pool area. There's this, like, concrete mushroom that has water, kind of a water feature, And she trips and falls and shatters her teeth on this concrete pillar. We hadn't even gotten to our hotel room yet. And immediately, all plans for that vacation went out the window as she had to go and make an emergency dentist appointment. Maybe you've experienced something like that before. You've got plans for this incredible vacation and then your flight gets canceled. Or you get caught in traffic. Or your car breaks down. Maybe you've got a cruise planned, and you know that you're rolling the dice in hurricane season. But uh, a storm comes through, and you miss a certain port of call, or you're, you're, uh, you're, you're, it's rocky, and, and it's just a, it's just not the experience you hoped for. In March of 2020, all of our plans got changed. The COVID pandemic changed for many high school seniors, their graduation plans. For for many students across the country, Spring Sports were out the window. So so many students had prom plans that were changed, open houses that were canceled or, or altered. There are a lot of people who uh, who planned big, large, elaborate weddings and they either got postponed or they just became small family gatherings. For some of you, you had plans that that fell apart because of of deep hurt and loss. You had plans of of having a family, but then you experienced a miscarriage, or you struggled with infertility. Maybe you had plans of a healthy baby, but, but health complications rocked your world. Maybe some of you had plans of, of a long and happy marriage, but everything fell apart when one morning all of this stuff was gone. And you look at your life and you would say, it hasn't gone according to plan. Every single one of us, in some form or fashion, have felt the pressure in planning. And in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, James helps us understand the plans that we make. We're going to read this passage together. If you would, please stand as we read God's Word. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city. Spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. This passage raises three questions about the plans we make in life. The the first question is How do we usually plan? How do we normally go about making plans? Look back at verse 13. James says, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. How do we usually plan? Usually, we plan like we are in control. We plan like we are the ones calling the shots. The words today or tomorrow and this or that show a type of planning that doesn't consider God. This is about anyone who makes plans separate from God and think they're in control. The words we will go implies a level of confidence of what will happen. If you'll remember last week, we read in verse 6 of chapter 4 that God gives grace, He shows favor to the humble. And to be repentant, part of that is to have a humble spirit. Well, now James turns his attention to the opposite. Arrogance. Pride. Overconfidence. Human history has produced countless examples of of overconfidence gone wrong. In 1903, the president of the Michigan Savings Bank, he said, the horse is here to stay, but the automobile is only a novelty, a fad. I didn't see very many horses in the parking lot this morning. Daryl Zanuck, the CEO of 20th Century Fox, he said in 1946, Television won't be able to hold on to any market it captures after the first six months. People will soon get tired of staring at a plywood box every night. Now, it may not be on a plywood box, but I'm guessing most people in this room will be watching the Super Bowl on a TV tonight. In 1912, Philip Franklin, the vice president of the White Star Line, he said this about the Titanic. There is no danger the Titanic will sink. The boat is unsinkable, and nothing but inconvenience will be suffered by the passengers. In 1962, Decca Records rejected the Beatles after their audition. Their executive was quoted as saying, We don't like their sound, and guitar music is on the way out. Talk about a misjudgment costing hundreds of millions of dollars. In late 1941, U.S. intelligence had information that the Japanese might be up to something. But it wasn't known where or when. However, Secretary of the Navy, Harry Knox, made a statement on December 4, 1941, to assure everyone that the situation was well in hand. He said, whatever happens... The U.S. Navy is not going to be caught napping. The attack on Pearl Harbor occurred three days later. In 2007, Steve Ballmer, the CEO of Microsoft, he said, there is no chance that the iPhone is going to get any significant market share. No chance. My guess is most of the people here today own an iPhone. It's easy for us to, to look back and laugh at how horribly wrong some of those predictions were, especially with the overconfidence and the arrogance in which they were stated. But I have to ask, how often do we make plans with the same sort of overconfidence, with the assumption that that we're in control? We make plans with our friends as if we're in control. We plan to go to, to this or that restaurant to to go to this or that store, to buy this or that thing. We make plans to catch a movie at this and this time, at, at such and such a theater. We make plans with our family. We, we decide to go on, on this vacation or that vacation. We make plans to work at this company or that company for, for this many years. We make plans as if we are in control. And you know the problem with most of our planning it's not that that we want to do things without God. I think most of us would in here would say, yeah I want God to be part of my plans. we want God we want his blessing but we want the control. We want to call the shots. let's say that one morning I wake up and I start packing a suitcase and I throw in sunscreen and beach towels and Tara looks at me and says, what what are you doing?" Oh, I I booked us a vacation. We're going to Florida. Our flight leaves today. What's wrong? Don't you want to come? And she says, what do you mean? You you never told me about it. Why didn't you ask me? I I can't come. I'm working today and tomorrow. I told the school that I'd be going with with the kids on their field trip on Friday. And then I said, well, you're spoiling my plans. Your job is to come along and make it all go well. It's not going to be any good without you. And we do the same thing with God all the time. We make plans, and then we expect him to tag along and bless them. See, we usually make plans as if we're in control. The second question the text raises is, is what's the problem with how we plan? And the problem with how we plan is very simple. We're not in control. We don't know what the future will bring, and to think that we do is arrogant. We are uncertain about all of the events of tomorrow. And not just about tomorrow, but all of life. Life is, is transient. For, for anyone here, anyone who's, who's watching online, who have ever experienced a death in the family, or the loss of a friend or a classmate due to some horrible tragedy. For any of us who have ever attended a funeral or have listened to a news story about a parent grieving the loss of their child, we know that life is transient. Life is short. That's why James says in verse 14, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a myth that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Since we don't know what the future will bring and life is is transient, to say that, that something is a sure plan is to say that we know the future and that's arrogant. This is boasting about making plans apart from God and of one's ability to control life. The New Living Translation captures the meaning of verse 16 well. It says you boast about your arrogant plans. If we don't know what the future brings, then then we're not in control. Several years ago at our church in Texas, we went through a church-wide study over a book called 30 Days to Live. And the premise of the book was, what would your life look like? What would you do if you knew that you only had 30 days to live? And I remember leading a discussion with some high school students, and I asked them that, that very question. What would you do if your doctor told you that you only had 30 days to live? And so a lot of the students were talking about how they'd want to spend time with family and friends. They'd want to spend as much time as they could with, with the people that they loved the most. And, and it seemed like the, the discussion was headed in the right direction. Until one kid named Seth just derailed everything. Because Seth said... Well, I'd get a second opinion. And Seth's response represents how most of us really struggle with the idea that, that life is a mist. Even Christians. When we're faced with a situation that causes us to be confronted with death, it can be hard to accept. We often ignore it or deny it. We try to suppress it. We... We don't like to think about it. Like Seth, we want to get a second opinion. It can't be real. There's a funeral home in South Carolina that's planning to open what it calls a coffee corner. It'll be stocked with Starbucks coffee and free Wi-Fi, as well as a fireplace and a TV. The owner of the funeral home says that he hopes that it will help mourners get their minds off of what's going on. There's a local news magazine down there called The Week, and they asked people to submit names for this new and novel cafe. Honorable mention awards included The Grim Roaster, You Can Take It With You, The Last Cup, Decaffeinated. Purgatory, Wake Up and Smell the Coffee, Be nice knowing you. See you, Latte. Here were the top winners. In third place, Latte for your own funeral. Second place, Still Above Grounds Cafe. And the first place winner, Time to Meet Your Mocha. The, The whole idea behind this funeral home coffee shop is a great example of our tendency to deny the hard truths of life especially our own mortality the funeral home owner says that, that he wants to help people get their minds off of what's going on but mourners need to actually face the reality of death and grieve it rather than avoid it we don't like to think about death Or the brevity of life. Because we wrongly assume that we're in control. We think, it won't happen to me. And you know the irony is, the more that we get our minds off of the brevity of life, the less life we actually live. When we focus on our earthly plans, and we focus on what's temporary, and we focus only on what's here and now, we miss out on what matters most. James says, God is the one who sustains our lives. The 24 hours in each and every day, they're not ours automatically. God is the one who controls time, and time is one of his good gifts. Jesus, in Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21, he gives us a wake-up call in a parable where he says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich. Toward God. Though the obituaries and the headlines that day mourned a successful businessman, God's verdict was very different. A simple one word epitaph You fool. He was rich in the things that don't matter and never last. He invested so little time, so little money, so little energy in God's kingdom. He was so consumed with building his kingdom that he never asked God what he wanted with it. And then God tells him, time's up on your plan. And all that you're so proud to achieve and accomplish, it's either going in the ground like you, or perhaps your your very best stuff might end up in someone else's garage sale one day. Your life was focused on things that pass away in a moment rather than what matters forever. And in the same vein, James says here that it's foolish to forget that my short life is like a puff of smoke, a mist, a vapor, a fog that that settles in in the early morning and and burns away by midday. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. So far, we've seen that, that we often make plans as if we are in control. And the problem with that assumption is the reality that that you and I are not in control. We don't know what the future will bring. And to say that we do is arrogant when it comes to making plans. And that leads us to our final question. How should we plan? How should you and I go about making plans in life? James tells us in verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will... We will live and do this or that. Notice that that James isn't saying that we shouldn't make plans. The Bible consistently encourages us to show wisdom in our planning. That that we ought to to save for the future. That we ought to invest. That we ought to leave a legacy. Making plans is not the problem. The problem lies in how we handle them. Bible scholar Alec Motier, he says, James is not trying to banish planning from our lives, but only that sort of self-sufficient, self-important planning that keeps God for Sunday, but looks on Monday to Saturday as mine. So how should you and I plan? With complete dependence on God. We submit our plans to him. The words, instead, you ought to say, it provides an alternative to verse 13 and a command of what to do with our plans. This isn't just about the words that we say, but that attitude that we have with the plans we make. Are we humble enough to accept that God could have a plan in mind that is different from what we have planned? Do we acknowledge to ourselves that God is in control, not us? Notice also that our plans have a condition. If it is the Lord's will, are we humble enough to accept that with all of our planning for school and marriage and parenting and career and the future, that things only happen if it's God's will, since he's the one in control and not us? When we fail to submit our plans to God, which we know we ought to do, James says that is sin. So church, understand, James wants us to have a humble reliance on God that flows from knowing we are dependent on Him for every single moment. Are you self-reliant or are you God-reliant? Do you get God involved in the day-to-day, in the week-to-week decisions of your life? Do you ask God for guidance before you make your plans or... Is it more accurate to say that you give God something like a courtesy call? You say, hey, God just wanted to give you a heads up here. Here's what I'm doing. I thought you might want to know. I'd love for you to join me. If you want to tag along, that'd be great. And, And I'd really love it if you could bless me. In Jeremiah 29, verse 11, God is speaking to Judah. And he's telling them as a people, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Scripture continually says that, that God has his plans. Not that he will bless mine. And we tend to get that reversed. Proverbs 16 verse 9 says, In their hearts humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps see, there's a big difference between demanding our plans to God and submitting our plans to God. There's a difference between, God, this is what I'm doing, and I want you to bless it, and God, this is where I feel like you're leading me. And, and Lord, I'm giving this to you. And if my plans don't align with your will, will you show me? I trust that, that you will lead me in the way I should go. And God, my prayer is like Jesus in the garden, not my will, but yours be done. That's why Proverbs 16, verse 3 says, commit to the Lord whatever you do. Submit your plans to the Lord and what? He will establish your plans. Proverbs 19, verse 21 says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purposes that prevail." So what does it look like for you and I to submit our plans to God? How can we plan wisely? First, trust God in everything. Trust God in everything. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make straight your path we submit our plans to God through prayer. We can make our plans about which college to go to, for what career to pursue, for relationships that we're in, for marriage and parenting and retirement. We can take all of these plans and we can talk to God about them. Share with Him your plans. Recognize that He is in control and trust that if your plan doesn't work out, it's because there's a better one being worked out. Corey Ten Boom survived in a Nazi concentration camp. She's famous for hiding Jews in her home. And she said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Trust God in everything. You aren't in control. God is. So the best thing you can do is to trust him in all things. And when you trust God, you can get to the place where no matter what happens in your life, you will be able to say, whatever my lot, thou has taught me to say it is well. It is well with my soul. Trust God in everything. Second, plan for eternity. Don't waste your life. Plan for eternity. In the uncertainty of life, are you planning for what really matters? You say, well, well, how do I know if I'm planning for eternity? Just take a look at your calendar. Is your calendar mostly filled with events and, and activities and appointments that are temporary? That are all about the here and now? That are all about earthly pleasures or or is your calendar filled with things that carry a lasting impact? That have a ripple effect into eternity. Just take a look at your calendar. Look at your spending. Do you spend money on what's temporary? Are you spending money on on, on fleeting pleasures? Are you spending money on yourself? Or are you giving towards God's kingdom? Are you investing in God's work through the church, which will last forever? Look at your calendar. Look at your spending. Look at your conversations. What do you find yourself talking about with people the most? Do you talk a lot about your hobbies? talk about politics? Do you talk about what's going on in the news? Or in your conversations, are you encouraging people in the Lord? Are you talking about what God is doing in your life and and what God's doing in the world? Are you using your conversations to point people to Jesus and, and share your faith and hope with people who do not know him? Are you planning for eternity? Francis Kettering said, we should all be concerned about the future because we will have to spend the rest of our lives there. This past week, uh, Ted Little, one of our elders, was telling me about Blackhawk Christian basketball coach Mark Davidson. And Mark Davidson coached Blackhawk Christian to two state basketball championships in 2019 and 2021. In 2020, Mark was diagnosed with a rare but vicious form of cancer that ultimately took his life after a 19-month-long battle. Recently, many people locally and nationally have gotten to know more about Mark's life and his faith through a new book that tells his story called Brave at Heart. For the last 19 months of his life, Mark Davidson knew he was dying from terminal cancer. But during every minute of those days, he taught everyone around him how to live a godly life, how to lean into adversity to present an example, and how to encourage growth in his own faith by sharing it with others. A terminal cancer diagnosis will do that. It will get you thinking about eternity. But what's remarkable is that Coach Davidson was thinking about eternity years before the doctors ever said the word cancer. Caleb First, who's currently a forward on Purdue's basketball team, he was awarded Indiana Mr. Basketball while playing at Blackhawk Christian. He's the most recognizable player in school history and was the major star on their two state championship teams. Caleb says that his most vivid memory of Coach Davidson's faith was in the locker room after Blackhawk Christian had just won the state championship in 2019. Caleb says, Coach Davidson took our state championship trophy and he laid it down right in the middle of our circle. He then proceeded to say, this trophy right here is really cool, but at the end of the day, in the grand scheme of eternity, it means nothing. One day it is going to be dust. Everything in this room will be dust. The only thing that will remain is our Savior. Our relationship with Him is what is eternal and is what really matters. Are you living for today? Or are you planning for eternity? If you want your life to count, no matter how many years you have on earth, and spend it for what matters most. Jesus said you can store up treasures on earth or you can store up treasures on heaven. Treasures on earth will fade away and be destroyed because they're like a mist, that they're a vapor. They're here one moment and they're gone the next. But treasures on heaven will last forever. And whatever you do for God, whatever you do for his kingdom will not be wasted. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness may the reality that your life is just a mist lead you to Jesus. Because as Coach Davidson said, our relationship with Him is what's eternal. And that is what really matters. Would you pray with me? Father, we don't like to think that our life is just a mist. But I would guess that every single one of us has had to face that reality. And Lord, it's painful and it hurts. But God, may the brevity of life be a constant reminder to us that we ought to live for something beyond ourselves. That life is not about what we can do. Life is not just about the plans that we make, but life is about planning for eternity. God, help us to fix our eyes on what matters most. May the things that we say, may the plans that we make be for you and your glory and your kingdom. And God, the very best way that we can plan for eternity is to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. To have our sins washed away. To have a new life. A life with the hope of heaven beyond the grave. Lord, if there's anybody who needs to make that decision today, to put their faith and to trust you in everything, including their salvation, I pray that they would make that decision today. In Jesus' name, amen.